The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Welcome to the stretch run. We are after the deadline. We are closing in on the playoffs. And we've got stuff to talk about today, even though it's been eh, five days since we did this last. Well, What's yeah, on your mind this morning? Well, the fact that you're talking about stretch run and on our way to the playoffs. However, as we will talk about at some point during the show, we don't exactly know when the season's going to end. We don't know exactly when the playoffs are going to start because that's okay. There are there are, are there are games that are unplayed and and need to be made up. I understand that the NHL wants to make sure that everybody plays the same number of games so that you can reliably control top four in each division. I mean, yes. unfortunately, as much as as much as you can say thing, as much as you can say things like, "Oh, you go by win percentage." Well, if one team's played thirty games because twenty six of them got canceled due to issues. And another team played 52 games because only four got. It's still a little on the unfair side to say, well, they got a better win percentage. Well, no shit. They played. Excuse me. I can't believe I just cussed on our show. Shame, shame. Uh, I can cut that out. <laughs> um, um, but uh, no kidding, because they played 20 less games. So naturally, they're going to have a better chance at having a higher win percentage. And yes, the the difference between 50-something and 20-something is huge. If it were 52 and 48, yeah, meh. Um, I completely get that. I mean, but what, we, we dealt with the deadline. So, I mean, what's on my mind is now, yeah, the stretch run. What's going to happen with the, you know, how the moves have affected the teams and where we go from here? Now, you brought up one of the topics that I wanted to talk about and expand about as soon as I saw... Uh, as soon as I saw your st- your stories for the week, um, we're talking about, of course, uh, the NHL's announcement announcement that uh, the season in the North would be extended through May 19th uh, because Vancouver had ended up with as many as 19 players and staff uh, under the COVID protocols. Yeah, that was, I mean, that, that just got out of control. I mean, that's everybody. That's, I mean, that's effective. That's the whole roster? <laughs> your organization. Because realistically, if you have 20, uh, if you have normal roster, a uh, full roster is 23, um, plus the uh, two or three extra people on the taxi squad, three coach, or three to four coaches. Um, who are bench, who are ice level trainers, doctor. That's, that's most of your key personnel. They probably didn't have enough non COVID non injured players to actually ice two lines. Uh, Which is why they postpone the games. And even at one point, um, JT Miller came out and made a comment that I'm trying to remember exactly the way he phrased it. In fact, I can actually pull it up just so I make sure I get the phraseology correct. 
because he was actually complaining about the amount of time that they would have to prep because of everything that was going on. It says, JT Miller doesn't feel the Vancouver Canucks are being given enough time to get ready for the extreme end-of-season schedule they've been handed. They haven't played since March 24th due to an outbreak of COVID, nor have they been able to practice as a result. Which, in a lot of ways, I agree with, and I think that's why... uh, They're going to play 19 games in 31 days. That Which is is just a broken number. Like, it doesn't (laughs) work. The season... The season was already compressed. That's too much. And I think that Boston and Dallas should probably, for two reasons, not just the quality of play and the health and safety of the players, ask for, because both of them have had short pauses as well, or actually Dallas is more than short. I think they should push out um, the end of the season for both teams and anyone else who's had more than like a week uh, of com- of uh, delay. Um, for two reasons, obviously the quality of play, health, and safety of the players. That's one. Mm-hmm. But the other one is possibly more important to the league, um, and that's revenue. Even as we get into May and then into the playoffs, uh, June, July, and whenever it ends, more people are going to be allowed into the buildings. Well, yeah, they're playing with like limited in, in most places. They're playing in limited capacity situations here in Boston. It's a 12% capacity. So today. they've got today. So they've got roughly 2,200 people. I think it is yes. that, are, that are allowed to go to the games. But assume I mean, it, they get up to 30% capacity by the first week of May. 30%. Well, then you're looking at 1734. You're looking at around 5100. You're going to 5100. Uh, 50, you've more than doubled. So you've more than doubled your your gate revenue than plus, it is currently. Plus all of the other fun stuff. Uh, you know, jerseys, t-shirts, uh, concessions, and the concessions um, are, I mean, and and the way they're doing everything now, it's all contactless. And and yes, the pro shop is open. Uh, I still think it was hilarious that they were selling a 22 ounce pint mug, but that's okay. Uh, yes, that that was something we both found hilarious. Um, but I like the, I like the idea because I mean we've seen three games in four nights, five games in seven nights from some of these teams. And look, they—they they knew. I love was, hockey as much as anyone. I don't want to see people I'm getting. And I'm a believer hurt. that elite level athletes, which you effectively have to be to be playing in the top level of any big four sport, um, you're talking over. You're talking the far end of the bell curve for endurance and. Uh, uh, recovery periods, but there's a breaking point for everyone. There's a reason that the NFL doesn't compress their schedule. There's a reason that baseball doesn't do double headers every day. Um, you know, five, five games in seven nights, even four games in seven nights is a lot. 
even with the restricted travel uh, of this season, I love all the hockey. Don't get me wrong. I could watch two games a day every day for the rest of my life and probably not get bored right. as long as the quality was good. But I think that there are really strong I think you're jeopardizing reasons to extend the season for all of the teams who have been affected by a shutdown. I think you're I think you're jeopardizing that quality that you're looking for. And just oh, no, no, no. A, it's no, it's not even jeopardizing. You're definitely impacting it. I mean, just to put a final quote on it. And again, it's JT Miller because he's the one I guess he's the unspoken leader up there in Vancouver, but it says, and it's a quote, it's unfortunate even to be in this scenario, but it is our job. But at the same time, one practice is not nearly enough to perform. And to be brutally honest, we're going to need more time than this to play hockey. Even the guys who didn't get it, the virus, aren't ready to play. It's not very safe if you're asking me. I mean, they're going to have one practice, which was Thursday. They're playing their first game. They've missed eight games. They're playing their first game tonight after having one practice two days ago. And I don't yeah. even know if they had it two days ago. And they might have had it's it a lot. You know, Friday it's, or whatever. It's, <sighs> it's a whole lot. And, I, I mean, the whole point of not setting hard dates and not having a hard start for the playoffs like most years was to allow flexibility for just this sort of scenario. I understand wanting to get all teams to 56 games or at least some semblance of equivalency, but we got to do this and it needs to be done in a manner that you're not putting the quote-unquote superstars and the quote-unquote everyday players in some sort of jeopardy, as you said. So, I mean, even – and it's not even just the players. It's the machinery in the buildings. I mean, what happens if the uh, – if the – both of the Zambonis in, in Winnipeg or Vancouver blow up or break down at the same time? Are you going to, you know, buy them from one of the local uh, ice rinks and ship them over? Is there even a, is there even another rink that you can get one from in time when you're playing back to back or, you know, three out of four nights in your own building? Hey, the Bruins added a new Zamboni. And if you look at it, it's got a funny little friggin razor hanging off the back of it because it's sponsored by Gillette. And it's a very lovely Zamboni, isn't it? It looks a little strange with that razor hanging off the back of it. Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, I like I said, I get it. I just, I'm, I'm concerned. I want to see the hockey. I enjoy the hockey. And they can play it. Like I, said, I watched the hockey in the summertime, even though yeah, it was... The quality was terrible. Yeah, I still watched it because <laughs> it was still hockey. And it was the first hockey we'd had in a long time. Like six months. <laughs> That's a very long time to go without hockey. Um, it's, tough, it's tough enough to go summer without it. It's tough and even in the summer, you have dev camp and, well, usually you have development camp and uh, rookie camp uh, a couple of weeks early to sharpen things up 
it's that time of year. I know we're still in the stretch run or just mm-hmm. beginning the stretch run, but we really, really, really have to start looking at free agency. Already? Already. And there's... Wow. Okay. I think we can make an argument that the we're going to talk about the best UFA available this year. The best UFA available this year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think there's a even I think there's a strong case um, that the RFA available this year might have a much higher upside than anyone believed early in his career. Uh, which of these guys do you want to start with? I'm curious to find out who you think the best UFA available is, so I want to start there. Straight up, plain and simple, uh, not going to tease it, not going to run it out. Um, it's Dougie Hamilton. Really? He's been one of the most productive, if not the most productive defenseman uh, in the last half decade or even a little bit longer. Um, if we take it back to the 15-16 season. Um, so the best UFA wouldn't be, I don't know, you know, the guy who's itching at getting fifth place all time in goal scoring and Alex Ovechkin. There, okay, Alex Ovechkin <laughs> is 30 and a lot. 35. There's literally no way he's playing anywhere other than Washington or the KHL. So while he may be a UFA, is he really a UFA? Is he really? (laughs) For anybody that for anybody that will is willing to. um, Uh. Trying and and seed the rask, uh, try and put up with the the rask of, of Washington ownership. <laughs> uh, so no, if, exactly. if he signs anywhere else, literally anywhere else, I will absolutely buy myself a jersey for his new team from his new team. I don't, I don't see it happening. I mean. I heard the question asked on I want to say it was I want to say it was on the NHL network, but it could have been one of the crazy radio stations around. But so I did hear somebody ask where uh, where Ovechkin was going to end up at the end of the season, being a UFA, and I was just like, uh, okay, what is two plus two? <laughs> Same. <laughs> you know, how much easier of a question can you ask here? You know, it's like, yeah, it's he's like- going to end up back in Washington. It's like after next year, Patrice Bergeron is a UFA. Mm-hmm. Are chances in excess of 95% that he resigns in Boston or retires? Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Like, it's not even worth talking about. So here's Dougie Hamilton in the last, since 2014-15 season. Uh, 15-16 season, rather, um, is 14th overall in scoring for defensemen, uh, just one point behind Ryan Suter, uh, having played uh, 19 less games. 
uh, several of the guys ahead of him have a cumulative plus minus significantly worse, including Brent Burns at a minus 20, Eric Carlson at a minus 34, Tyson Berry at a minus 72, but with uh, definitely more points. Uh, Keith Yandel's been a minus 28, although he played on a completely terrible team for most of his career. Um, and right behind him is Alex Petrangelo. A very similar number of games and very similar number of points, both at a plus 45. Uh, Hamilton's got a .60 points per game uh, percentage. Uh, 76 power play points out of his 251 uh, for that time. I don't see anyone other than possibly Tyson Berry as a UFA uh, this offseason. Yeah. Uh, And we both know what we think of Tyson Berry's uh, defensive capabilities, which is to say we would love to see them demonstrated one day. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I, I think he's if he's not the best real RFA uh, UFA um, he's got to be in the top three. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's tough to find anybody who's going to rank anybody. I haven't seen anybody ranking UFAs as of yet. I don't know if they're waiting until the end of the season or not. And I can't make the argument as far as, uh, as far as his defensemen go, I would certainly put him at the top. I mean, there are other defensemen that are going to be available that, yes, are older and, yes, don't score as much. There are other forwards. I mean... There are a lot of forwards who don't score trying, as much as... What I'm trying Hamilton. to figure out, and, and I have to ask this question, is how you do not consider... I was going to do it with a straight face and I can't shit. Damn. Damn. Okay. How do you not consider Tuka Rask to be a top UFA? Um, because in addition to all of the abdominal issues, both, I think, both, I think digestive and, uh, like muscular tendon, Mm -hmm. um, he appears to be having back issues as well and is also 30 and a lot. Um, and I'm sorry, at most you've got three years left, uh, in the Tukarask, uh, career. Um, that's. And also, again, Tukarask said that he might actually retire at the end of this contract. I heard. I, I mean, I, we've heard him say that, and then not lately, uh, but not yes. lately. I've heard that he's willing to come back. It was the last willing. thing I had heard. Willing. That's not the same as I'm coming back. Which no, and I'm sure that if they turned around and offered him four million dollars a year, he's going to scoff at it. You know what? I don't care if he scoffs at it. No, I don't either. I'm just saying that that's what I would. Uh, I wouldn't we'll offer him more than what four. I firmly believe is the Bruins not so secret plan uh, for the crease uh, towards the end of the show. If we have time. Ooh, OK. I didn't know you had it. I didn't know you had ends on their secret plans. That's cool. I thought I did, but apparently not. Uh, yeah, there's. I'm looking at the list of UFAs on cap friendly and and RFAs. I mean, I had didn't I I, I didn't uh, narrow it down, but I mean, some of the names you look at and it's like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a 
big list of names. You got the the Taylor Halls, the David Krejci's, the. But yeah, I think that the one name that stands out, I guess I would have to agree, is is yeah the fact that Dougie Hamilton is still available. What he's been able to do with the blue line for Carolina has been impressive, and the fact that he's a plus in the plus minus category, believe whether you like that category or not, clearly he's doing more for his team than against it. Is he going to be, I mean, does he make a return trip to Boston? Are we in a position here in Boston to pick him up? Or do we see him going someplace like, I don't know, Nashville? Nashville definitely needs to improve. But what they really need to improve is forwards. I mean, if we're not going to see some sort of trade, like a rights trade, uh, or a sign-in, uh, a sign-in trade deal with um, between the two teams, uh, before between the end of the season and the draft uh, or free agency. Um, I don't know. He said he likes it in Carolina. Um, the the fans seem, the fans in, seem to like him there. So leadership I mean, seems to like him. And want to sign him. But it went from let's sign him in the back half of the season to uh, we're going to have to sign him in the off season. Yep. Going to have to leave it till the off season. Um, fourth period, which is one of the longest running and best known uh, hockey uh, hockey media sites. Um points out he could see anywhere up to nine million annually, which scary without COVID probably yes, but the, I suspect we're going to see, uh, I, well, the Carolina hurricanes have cap room. Mm-hmm. I think this, if they're going to do it, I think you're going to see a six or a seven year deal. Uh, well, maybe no more than like a six year deal, even though they could theoretically sign him to eight. Um, unless there's a tail off heavy in those last two years, because as, uh, as Kane, uh, cardiac Keynes points out, his foot speed is declining. Um, unless he can find a way, he, unless he can find like David Gracie and Mark Stahl and Eric Stahl's, uh, fountain of, uh, youth, I would be somewhat terrified of what he's going to be skating of his, where his skating ability is going to be at 36 or 37 years old. Um, that said, We've seen uh, P.K. Subban slow down and become a much better defensive player and still be able to make really smart, really effective passes uh, in New Jersey. So where does Hamilton end up with uh, people talking about him really liking museums a lot, which I think is weird to have as a criticism on the other hand i'm a nerd but uh you're gonna put him in washington 
Washington, you know, if you have him and Carlson and Orlov, yeah, Orlov in your top four, you instantly become one of the best defense uh, uh, defense teams in the league. Uh, At least for two or three years, because Carlson's not young anymore. Uh, right. But as I look at the Capitals, they are. Hmm, they yeah. they have cap. They yeah. I, I see. I think the only way that happens is if Ovechkin doesn't resign, and I think we've covered that topic. Yeah, you're you're losing Raffel at one point two million, and Zdeno Chara at seven hundred ninety five thousand. So, uh and you're going to have to pay Ilya Samsonov because, oh, wait, he's an RFA arbitration eligible. So uh, I still find them picking up Anthony Mantha a fascinating thing. Unless Ovechkin has already said, yep, not coming back. Which he might have done. He might have said he might have said when he signed his deal originally, because remember, he negotiated that what we all thought was a forever contract. Um himself yeah and at the time it made him the highest paid player in the league and in the past eight years he's been eclipsed by a growing number of players um i don't know where this team gets this money i'm looking at washington and it's like okay 9.2 to backstrom 7.8 to kuznetsov Five and three quarters to Oshie, five point seven to Mantha, five point one to Wilson, three and a half to Lars Eller, two and three quarters to Hagelin, but one and a half to Hathaway, and they're all extended to like at least two, three years out. Then you got eight million to Carlson, five point one to Orlov, four to Justin Schultz, three point nine to Dylan, two point five to Jen. Where are they getting this cash, and how are they circumventing the cap? They're not circumventing the cap. Whatever else you can say about the Washington Capitals, uh, Brian McClellan and, and company um, have done a really, really good job of managing the cap. The, they don't have Clearly any buyouts. They don't have any injured and effectively retired uh, players on the roster or who are taking up cap space. Uh, the one contract they have buried is Phoenix Copley, and that's costing them a full twenty-five thousand this year. Um, yes, twenty-five thousand, which m- many retail employees in most of America make, um, is what it's costing them for the entire season for an NHL player. I mean, they're four, they're eighty-six. They're four. They're four and a half. Million over? Am I reading that right? Five and a half? 80, 81 and a half, 82, 486. They're four and a half million over currently this year. They are. Um, and that's going to hurt them next year. I suspect at the. Well, oh, don't forget they're probably going to lose someone uh, to the expansion draft. Ah, uh, yes. And look. Looking at the guys who do have, looking at the forwards who do have, uh, 
who do have protection, no trades or no movements. Finding Anthony Mantha suddenly makes a whole lot more sense. Because if they if you take out his five point seven mm-hmm. uh, for next year, that gives that swings that cap space back open pretty well. Uh, that's a lot of maneuvering room uh, that you gain. And if you do decide to go after Dougie Hamilton and you move Justin Schultz to do it because both of them are right defensemen um, and you decide to hold on to Nick Jensen uh, as your third right uh, righty, mm-hmm. again, you're gaining four million there and someone else gets all of next season before they have to negotiate with him. OK. Um. As far as the RFA, found this one to be interesting. Originally, it was supposed to be Thatcher Demko this week, uh, but Thatcher Demko, as we know, signed a contract a couple of weeks back. Uh, kind of smart on the part of Vancouver there. I'm oh yes, and <laughs> they probably needed to sign him before his price tag got any higher. Um, yes. That's why I'm saying smart move on their part. <laughs> uh, but every, t- every time he took the ice, the, the dollar signs were increasing. Kevin Fiala has had, he's always been a really solid depth forward. But he's now making the case to own a second line spot on most teams. Uh, if you look at his career, last last season... In terms of points per game, uh, he tied his goal. He tied his goal scoring record at uh, at 23 goals, which had previously he had achieved in an 80 game season. He did it in 64 last year. He set his own new personal record uh, for points with 54. Uh, previous record of 84 of 48 again in that 80 game season in the 1718 year. Um, and this is on a national team that's, or rather on a Minnesota team that's not known for scoring. Um, this year, numbers are a little softer, but he's still having his second best points per game percentage. Um, and he's uh, tops on the team in terms of power play points. Uh, he's got 10. Uh, he's the only person on the team with 10 or more points on the uh, man advantage. Um, next down is eight. Um, and that's uh, the team leader in points overall. Mm-hmm. Am I am I going to sit here and say, yeah, sign him for like six million for the rest of his career? Of course not. I'm not completely insane. Um, OK. I mean, there's just there's a lot of RFAs this year. There, there are a lot, and most of them and are going to resign with their own teams. That's just the way it works. You don't think um, Fiala is? You think they're going to let Fiala walk? I don't know, because yes, he's he's having his second best career points per game in a really odd season, um, and you can either hold the really odd against him and say that it doesn't it doesn't stack up because you're not playing the best teams in the league. Yes. You're playing Tampa. You're not playing. You're not seeing the variety of defenses. You're not going up against 
you're not going up against Boston. You're not playing on the West Coast. You're not having to constantly readjust your body to multiple time zones. Um, you're not having days where you spend three hours in, um, in customs, even though you're not bringing in anything else, that, anything that the other 24 guys uh, on the roster traveling with you are, are bringing. Um, I suspect they will probably try and keep him because he's reasonably young. Um, and you can't really complain about the productivity you've gotten out of him the last two years. Uh, some of their younger leaders who are, who are, um, going to need contracts in the near future. Not necessarily going to break the bank. You know, Nico Sturm is signed for next year as well. Um, and he's on his entry level contract. So whatever that looks like, it's going to be controllable. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. UFA and uh, Nico Sturm is going to be a UFA after next season. I forgot that he was signed as a, uh, as a free agent at a college, but Ryan Hartman isn't going to cost you that much money. Even he's got negotiation rights. Joel Erickson, not going to cost you that much money. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, that's going to be the big hit uh, of the offseason. Marcus Johansson, eh. Maybe you give him a half million raise, three quarters of a million raise. Maybe you let him go. Um, he might even be uh, Nick Benino is he's expiring as a UFA. Victor Rask uh, is unprotected. Um in the in the expansion draft or likely to be unprotected in the expansion draft. Um, I mean, how did you overlook Zach Sanishin? Huh? Oh, that well, <laughs> I assume that the Bruins are going to uh, you know get rid of both uh, Marshand and um, and Smith in order to keep him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I thought everyone assumed that. Oh, well, I, I guess I just didn't. I mean, there are guys in, in more seriousness. There are guys like and and you're right. Most RFAs are going to end up resigning where they are because you've got guys like Brandon Carlo, who would certainly be a very desired piece as a free agent. But as an RFA, you're going to have to be given the Bruins at least a couple of picks. You know, you've got uh, guys, Cal McCarr is an RFA. Yeah. Good luck uh, if, Colorado, if you think that Colorado's not resigning him. Hello. Legitimately, would, even if someone sends them, unless someone sends them, sends him an offer sheet for whatever the max contract is at eight, at seven years, there's no way they're not signing him, resigning him and matching. And even then, I think they probably still resign him. Because Kale McCarr is really damn good. Yeah, he is. Um, and, and to think that we get to see, and to see, to think that we get to see both him and Adam Fox before they were professionals. Before they were professionals. Uh, what's going to be fascinating is watching who. I really want to see who Minnesota protects um, and leaves available. Because right now they have three forwards who have no movement clauses or no trade clauses. Mm-hmm. 
and they have three defensemen who have no movement clauses, and then their two goaltenders who are both signed for next year. And one of the rules is that they have to have term on their they they have to have yes. term to be uh, eligible to be drafted in by Seattle. Oh well, yes and no. The uh, Seattle has to draft. I think it's 12, 14 players who have contracts. Um, there's a strict number, and we should probably make a note of going over the rules. Um, I'm writing that down. Draft. <laughs> I'm writing that down. <laughs> Discuss draft rules for expansion. <laughs> uh, but protected are Jonas Brodeen, Ryan Suter, Jared Spurgeon, uh, because they all have the no movement clauses. Um, and term, uh, Parisi is protected basically by the fact that he's old and not productive uh, as well as the no movement clause. Uh, Matt Zuccarella has a no movement clause and Marcus Johansson. Um, well, he's a UFA, but he does have a modified no trade clause. Um, he's 30 today making four and a half. Um, I don't know where he lands next year. Um, I don't know if he knows where he's going to land next year. Uh, but Matt Dumba is unprotected. And call me crazy, but I think he's the best unprotected player on this team. Which means mm-hmm. if he's not traded, well, even if he is traded elsewhere uh, before the expansion draft, he's probably gone. Which, okay. which does free up $6 million, uh in cap space for Bill Guerin and company. Fair uh, enough. But back to, Nick, uh, back to Kevin Fiala. Mm-hmm. I think he probably ends – I mean, he's at $3 million now. He has he has uh, negotiation rights, 24 say, years old. As an arbitration eligible, does that change things? For you. It does. Uh, it gives him a little bit more flexibility, um, but I don't know that he's going to get six or seven million. Uh, not- oh no, I'm not saying that he's going to be getting any kind of uh, ridiculously high increase here. He's, you know, at three, what he's going to go up to four. Four and a half, four and three quarters is probably the top reasonable end, unless he has an absolutely magical end to the season. Um, and hits like 27, 28 goals. Um, in which case the argument's going to be, uh, probably sign a two year deal, uh, and show me, uh, that you can be consistent. Um, or if he actually, if he hits 28 goals by the end of the season and I'm Bill Guerin, I would say, okay, here's a three year deal. I will pay you. 5.1, 5.1, take it or leave it today, or we're going to arbitration. I think 5.1 is an overpayment um, based on his career, but 5.1 yes. for what would be 35 goals over an 82-game season? Probably not. I mean, he had one he had one solid year in Nashville. We're, I mean, we're talking about a guy... I mean, yes, when he showed up in Minnesota and, and flipped the switch or whatever he did, 
it was like, wow, this is the guy that Nashville was hoping to get. Well, it's the guy that Nashville had for one year. Yes, but we don't know how – I can't remember who he was played with in Nashville. And I want to say – I want to say that his really good year was the year that they went to the cup before they got broken. Uh, that was 1718 um, when they lost to, um, when they lost to Pittsburgh. Mm. When Sidney Crosby was busy slamming PK Subban's head into the ice and not getting called for it because he's Sidney Crosby. Yes. That one. I thought 1718 was, I'm confusing my years now. I thought 1718 was, was, um, inaugural season for Vegas. Um, I would have to, I would have to look it up, but he's had one really, he's had one 20 plus goal season in each city. Um, and this is his second best points percentage per year. He's going to get a raise. He's going to get signed either there or moved elsewhere. Um, I think Dumba has to be accounted as one of the top five or six defensemen likely to be available in the, in the expansion draft. Um, so it's, it's probable that he's going to be gone, but, uh, I think that's another thing we should probably put together for a summer topic is trying to, is just rating who the best probably available players are. Yes. 1718, um, just to clarify, 1718 was inaugural season for Vegas. Uh, Nashville made it to the second round and lost in seven games to Winnipeg that year. 1718. Yeah, he had uh, he had four points in 12 games um, in the playoffs for them that year. Um, as far as scoring, uh, on the team goes in 17, 18, you had like 50, 51, no, 46, 47 points. Something like that. 51 points in 79. No, wait a minute. Uh, 48 points. And he was one of what? Three guys to cross 20 goals, four guys. Uh, Philip Forsberg at 26 led the team. Victor Ardvinson at 29, and then Craig Smith at 25 and Kevin Fiala at 23. Uh, no one else was particularly close to the 20 goal mark. Um, uh, so it's tough. It's tough because you want to know if I were Bill Guerin, I'd want to know which Fiala I was getting. Now the Fiala that I've seen in Minnesota is looking like a, pretty solid forward that yes you could give him a a middle six spot somewhere on the yes depending on which center he gels with best right so yes i could see bill trying to figure out a number that would work unfortunately the arbitration is going to shoot him in the foot i think because my guess is that fiala is going to want to arbitrate or I mean, the other question is, how happy is Fiala still uh, to play in Minnesota? If he wants to stay in Minnesota, that's always uh, that's always going to be 
uh, something to your advantage? Yeah, true, and and I, I get that. I, I mean, he seems to be playing well there. That's what I'm going by. I mean, if he if he's playing as if he's playing as well as he is, and take that phrase at exactly as it is, as well as he is, because yes. right now he's 26 and 39. Last year, 54 and 64. So close to you know two thirds to. 80 percent you know point per game player if he doesn't like playing there he's doing a hell of a job covering it up (laughs) exactly um okay i think it's time to uh come back to boston for a minute because there's a topic that i think is near and dear to our pulling hair out of our heads uh in giant clumps um, and I texted you two nights ago saying, Hey, do this for the show. Yeah. Did you do this? I, yeah. <laughs> come up with six healthy defensemen. First of all, I don't think the Bruins can come up with six healthy defensemen, but okay. No, I gave it a try. And that's, that's <laughs> fascinating. But I think particularly if they want to keep their deadline acquisitions, um, more than the one who's signed for next year. Um, this gives them a whole lot of flexibility going into the summer because if for some reason they decide to go after someone big, whether via trade or re-signing Hall for, well, more than like five or six million, mm-hmm. um, that they've, they've had enough young defensemen play respectably well in the NHL that those that there's they they've actually got assets like better assets than many people projected. I think that this team is right now clearly better at developing young defensemen than it is at at developing forwards. Okay. Uh that's not really a huge statement, but We'll go with it. Um, this is really, really going to, be, uh, and Boston's going to be an interesting team to see who gets protected. I mean, I think we can make guesses, um, really good guesses, based on who has to be protected. I mean, Bergeron, Marchand, and Charlie Coyle all have those no movement clauses, so they're required to be protected. Mm-hmm. I think the chances are 0. 0. 0.0 uh, to like 18 or 20 decimal places that Pasternak doesn't get protected. <laughs> just they're a hunch. just going to let him hunch. dangle out there because he'll, he'll make it through. They won't, they won't pick him. No, no. And they won't, they won't pick him. There's so many other options because you, you have to take one from each team. Yes. So, I mean, there's so many other options on the Bruins that you would take ahead of a David Pasternak. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's impossible that that, that Jacob uh, Zaboral would be passed over, or Jared Tenorti, for that matter. I mean, look, the Bruins picked him up this season, so someone else would want him, too. Absolutely. But... 
those four forwards, they don't have a single defenseman who is actually protected. Nope. But that's because most of their defensemen don't qualify for good rates uh, on their car insurance yet. I mean, McAvoy is 23. Yeah. Um, Clifton is 25. Lozon is 23. Zaboro is 24. Um, we've seen Brandon Carlo, who is 24, make it onto the ice. Um, Jack Akan is 23. Apparently, I've learned it's pronounced Ashan. Um, I've heard it pronounced three different ways. I'm going to wait until I hear him pronounce it. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. But yes, apparently Jack was calling him Akan the first game that he called. Then in the last game that he played, he was calling him Ashan. So I have no idea. And then Erho Vakaninen um, is 22. And I forget the other defensemen to play for the Bruins this t- season, but they played 12 defensemen. They had well, another Bruin. Did Wolf actually make it into an NHL game yet? I don't think so, but he was only signed this year, and I think I don't think he's actually signed to an NHL contract. I think it's just AHL this year. Okay. Uh, because they want he wanted to be able to play immediately, and uh, that would have affected their their fifty that fifty contract cap. No, oh, um, right, right, right. Yeah. I don't know that there's been anybody else. There's. Carlo. No, they oh. they've definitely played twelve defensemen this year. John Moore. Well, technically he's a defenseman, yes. Well, they they list him as the position of defenseman. Jack Akon. Forward or goaltender, yes. Uh, then you got Tenorti, Zavoro, Camper, Lozon, Clifton, Riley. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, Rizzi, they played McElroy. thirteen. Who's the thirteenth? Um. So it's McAvoy, Grizzlick, uh, Zaboro, Lozon, Clifton, Carlo, Camper, Miller, Vakaninen, Riley, uh, Moore, Tenorti, and Akan. Oh, or okay. Sean. Or however yes. you want to pronounce it, yeah. Jackie. Yeah. We're just going to call Jack. him Jackie. <laughs> okay. Sure. Sounds good to me. So they, you they actually me to- have assets back there. So give me your – start at the top. Start with your first pairing. Uh, I like it only because if they really do fit into the – if they really do fit into the category of tops and all the stats. And I like – I actually like the way they play together, like it or not. I have McAvoy and Grizzly. I am not surprised – uh, but I do not agree. And I'm not surprised that you don't agree. I just I think that they seem to they seem to have a chemistry. And yes, they played together. Well, the chemistry at BU, is great. But um, but there one, are there's a re, there's a I'll I'll get to my reasons for not taking that pair as the top pairing in a second. Okay. Um, I actually no. went with. Uh, Carlo and Grizzly as my as my first pair. You said healthy. Carlo's not healthy, so no, I, no, no. I said assuming you. all of the defensemen are healthy. Ah, 
Does that mean you need to take another minute and go over yours? <laughs> Just needs I mean to figure needs to mean means I need to figure Carlo in somewhere. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I'll just go through my top six or my top. I'll go through my list then. So Carlo and Grizzly is pair one, mm-hmm. partly because I want someone who's a bit bigger and has a bit more reach to play with Grizzly. Grizzly yes. is highly effective. Very highly effective, but he does occasionally get run over. Not very often, particularly for a guy his size, but Carlo is a completely different animal uh, to play with in terms of physicality uh, versus playing with someone closer to his size like McAvoy. Second pairing, mm-hmm. I think this pairing could actually be really, really good, uh, is McAvoy and Riley. I think that having someone who has played and he was playing with Shabbat in Ottawa before the trade, mm-hmm. who has played against the top guys and is used to playing with someone who is offensive leaning. Um, I'm good. I, I like that pairing. I think given 70, 100 games together. I think it has the potential to be better uh, than the Grizzly uh, McAvoy pairing. Okay. And splitting them up gives you the ability to shift in a game or in a series and put the two of them back together and instantly have a new pair or two new pairs that have a different chemistry than. Uh, than playing them together. And if you play those two pairings 24 minutes a night each, and I think you can, it almost doesn't matter who's on your third pair. It really doesn't. I mean, you're talking 12 minutes a night if you finish things in 60. And, you know, if you're blowing the doors off of a team at the midpoint of the second period you can start giving your third pairing longer shifts or more frequent shifts and pull those guys back to 21, 22 minutes and get them that extra rest. And I think not surprisingly, I think you're probably going to end up having to platoon your third pair simply because of the style of play of the three guys. Um, And some grouping, uh, some pairing of Clifton, Lausanne and Miller. Yeah, you were right then when we talked the other day because we're pretty much the same. My only issue, and I've been actually erasing and rewriting and erasing and rewriting here for the last 30 seconds. Obviously, I would play Carlo and Grizzly together. I like them together. They played. I've seen them play together. Carlo allows Grizzly to be a little bit more offensive-minded, as it is Grizzly with his speed he can carry the puck through the offensive zone. We've seen him where he's literally swept from one side of the ice around behind the net to the other. Nobody can catch up to him, but Carlo being that stay at home defenseman allows him to pinch up, get involved in the offense and create more chaos. Yes. I was concerned with, and I keep penciling Riley next to McAvoy for the second line. My concern is that, 
two peas in a pod. If both of them pinch, we're screwed. And unfortunately, McAvoy, as much as everybody wants to anoint him, he's not learning from his mistakes as rapidly as people seem to think. He still pinches, makes mistakes, and catches himself out of position, leaves himself with two-on-ones going the other way. Unless we're going to expect that Riley, and I like what I've seen from Riley. I like the deal more than you did when they made it. Oh, he's absolutely growing on me, but... I did. I worry that the, I worry that the two peas in the pod thing because they both are offensive minded. I, I, worry I about think that Riley is, is more of a two way guy back. than than he's given credit for. Uh, that's my reading. Am I going to say that he's as good defensively as Miller or Carlo? No. But ideally, I'm penciling them together for the fact that I can't see either one of them being a third line defenseman so yes I'm penciling them together my third line I keep going back and forth again between and and I'm not letting Clifton go I said this like two months ago I said if they if they suddenly send Clifton back to taxi squad or whatever that's a mistake they need to keep him around he gives nothing but effort every single night he's managed to come up big in situations where his defense partner has been caught out of position, whoever that might be. Yep. He's physical. He's not afraid of anybody. Every now and again, he does take shot. He's not an offensive minded guy, but he does. He is willing to take the shot from the point and do what he's got to do. I, I love Connor Clifton's all around game and I can't see him not being on the squad. So yeah, it's either him with Miller or him with Lozon. So yeah, ultimately we do agree on, on who the six or seven should be. Which isn't necessarily surprising, but I'm not surprised to see that we came up with different pairings uh, on the top two. Um, I Obviously, I'm not going to uh, turn the TV off if I see Grizzly and McAvoy and then Carlo and Riley as the pairings. But I, I do like I do like uh, for the reasons that I mentioned the ability to flip the switch with two different uh, and give yourself two different pairings uh, or rearranging the top two pairings uh, into different looks mid game or mid series. I think the uh, I think the fact that you can take Mike Riley and Matt Grizzlick and swap them, whether you make one the top line and one the second. But to have Carlo playing with Riley or Carlo playing with Grizzly, I don't think you're hurting yourself. No. In either way. So, I'm, you know, like you said, I'm not going to turn the TV off because, oh, he's not playing Carlo with Grizzly. You know, I think Grizzly and McAvoy still have that chemistry. So if you do see them together, it's not at the detriment of the team. No. I'm I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to make a case for that, but I like my pairings better. Fair enough. I, I, mean, um, I, I turn around and ask you, you know, are we getting rid of one of the two goaltenders now that Jeremy Swayman got his first shutout? Uh, see that? Do, I think the answer to is 
Yes. Do we do we have the new anointed one? Uh, I think that's honestly been clear for a little bit uh, just, since Swayman came up. I still think that Dan and that's Lidar what I was mentioning as the not so secret plan. Oh, um, okay, we'll get to that leadership. later. All right, I don't want to spoil it. But before we do that, let's take uh, a look at the standouts on the um, uh, on the on ESPN's grading of the trade deadline. Um, <laughs> and while we did grade a couple of teams uh, when we did our deadline uh, supplemental, mm-hmm. grading the trade deadline a week later or a day later or a month later. Kind of difficult. And I think that many of these grades are amazing. So I'm Um, trying to remember, I'm trying to remember one thing in particular that we talked about in the last show. And that was in order for the Taylor Hall, uh, thing to be successful or for us to keep him I think you said you expected four goals and 11 points and I was a little bit more ambitious I think I said like six or seven goals and like 17 points and if I'm not mistaken if I'm not mistaken he's already at like three or four points he's already matched his two goals that he had in Buffalo yes in fact he's only like two or three points away from uh, which could mean today's game uh, from beating uh, what uh, what Rick Nash did in his entire tenure. Ooh, there we go. And yes, that's a very high bar because Rick Nash was a special talent. Well, we he co- he, co- he cost us enough, you know that 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 other guy that plays with Adam Fox, you know Ryan Lindgren, top pairing defenseman for uh, all right or a rental. I'm getting even over it. Just one well, by one. Just even if even if that trade were just those two, I'd still hate it. Yes. Okay. I'm looking at this article uh-huh. uh, from ESPN. It's uh, and I think everyone started off with a C plus, and basically. Because, like, I'm not seeing any bad grades here. Uh, the worst grade would be Buffalo Sabres got a D. Um, As did the Buffalo? Anaheim. Two D grades were given. Anaheim Ducks and Buffalo Sabres, which, if you listen to our trade special, uh, we also said that the Ducks blew it. Because they had an opportunity to really make a... a do something as far as moving players, getting themselves in line for with picks or whatnot, and they blew it. And the Buffalo Sabers, uh, well, giving they, away. They continue to be Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Adams is a, is a rookie GM. Okay. Kevin Adams also has the uh, Pagulas behind him, which does not help things at all. But I, I like. This was this was a very, 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 very quiet deadline. And that makes grades. There should be way more incompletes here than any actual letter grade. Really? Like Vancouver, they got a C. 
Mm-hmm. They got rid of uh, Adam Gaudet and Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben not really going to be doing much for anyone. Uh, I mean, he plays. He's not the worst top six defenseman in the league. And with the right coach and the right um, and the right uh, partner, he can play a solid. 17, 19 minutes a night. Wow. That's nice of you. And that's, that's literally all I can say. But <laughs> Adam, uh, Madison Bowie and Matthew Highmore's additions to the Canucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is an incomplete. Fair St. enough. Blues, I, I'm not going to. The St. Louis Blues did literally nothing. And no they key got a additions, C plus. no key subtractions, and they get a C plus. Well, in this article, and 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 it's one thing that hasn't been, and and they have their own, ta- you know, whoever, and, and I don't remember who wrote it, but whoever wrote it, they have their own take. Uh, but they also include uh, missed opportunities. Yeah. And it's trading away any of their pending UFAs, such as Bozak, Hoffman, and Schwartz, or pending RFA Winston, who I think is going to get moved in the off season. Yeah, but if you expect to do anything useful in the playoffs this year, can you really, really get rid of a center like Bozak? Can you really, really get rid of a defenseman like Dunn? I, I not sure that you know that's that big of a missed opportunity. Now, do I think that the St. Louis Blues are going to win the Stanley Cup this year? No. On the other hand, I did not pick them to win the year that they did win. I mean, I am surprised that things like Washington Capitals get a B minus. They added one player. They paid a rather large price, in my opinion, for him. I mean, I think Steve Eisenman is amazing for what he did in Tampa Bay as it is. But he was able to get Jakob Rana, who is a fairly good goal scorer um Richard Ponick who has been kind of a journeyman but he got himself a first this year and a second next year all for Anthony Mantha who at best and 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 I like him better than you did as you like to say but at best it was still an inconsistent he's a big six foot five power forward should be going to the net should be scoring he doesn't strike me as the physical type, though, and with his size, he needs to be getting those dirty goals in front of the net, in front of the blue crease, and and that's not his game. So Washington gets a B minus for acquiring a guy that is five point seven million dollars, and at the end of the season, what's going to happen? Are they going to let him dangle to go to Seattle? Is that why they brought him in? And if you brought him in to dangle him for Seattle, you gave up Jakob Rana, who was kind of a fan favorite in Washington. I think the crowd liked him. They liked his antics when he scored with the whole bird thing and the. Yeah, I, I, I mean, am I, missing, I, am I missing something? I mean, some of the grades are, are a little strange. Yes, I, I think the article. The article gets a C minus uh, as a whole, and that's probably being nice. 
Hey, now um, wait a minute. They gave the Bruins an A minus. And I think that grade is too high. Really? Based on what we knew about the players and what they have for term. Okay, I don't think that the Bruins gave away the farm. That's clearly not the case. Gave away the farm. They. Yeah. That's <laughs> this not was, the case. This was almost the. This was almost the equivalent of the deal from Manhattan. <laughs> but what they did do is not address the future. Agreed. This is this is a very, very short term deal but, with the exception of the term for Mike Riley. Curtis Lazaro is signed for one more season. Riley is signed, I believe, for two more. No, Riley's a free agent at the end of the year. So you have one season you have one season of certainty out of this. Um, and based on the Taylor Hall that we saw on the trade deadline show after he was traded, mm-hmm. that man had zero confidence. He sounded nothing like the MVP that we saw. And I would and I jerky. would say and I would say if you interviewed him now, you would get an entirely different Taylor Hall. He's potted two goals, in which is three both games. good and bad. Which is both good, good and bad, because two goals for a guy whose upside is that high is nothing. That should be a good game on an average Tuesday. You can't ex- as much as as much as I think Taylor Hall is. You can't expect. I don't even expect it out of. Connor McDavid, you you can't expect two goals every single night. It no, would be nice not every to single see, night. but he's got two goals in three games with a team that he had no chemistry with, no practice time with. Yes, I, look, I think he's performed well, but long term, the the two things that this team did not address. Puck-moving defensemen, even though both of us hate the phrase. <laughs> and But I think, that, I think that Mike Riley is a puck-moving defenseman. But there's no term. There's none. But he's but he's only 1.5. Even if you give him a even if you give him a 100% raise and bump him up to three mil a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, with what with what cap space? Uh, well, you've got plenty of other UFAs that you may or may not keep. Jared Tenorti, doubt he's going to be kept. Camper, unfortunately, is one of these guys that gets let go and then re-signed halfway through the season again. Uh, but you have to, I, you have to re-sign. See, Carlo must do a contract this year, and I think that Carlo probably is in line ahead of ahead of Mike Riley. Carlos an RFA, so it's a different situation. But um, Andre Kasha, you're either going to not tender him and let him walk as a UFA. You're going that to would trade be my him. Yes. I, I, I don't know what you can trade him for. Can you get a fourth round pick for him at this point? Probably not. I'm thinking he just kind of flies off into the ether. They I'm should cool. have traded one of their UFA goalies. Yeah, that was that's that's a big missed opportunity there, because while I wouldn't necessarily have traded him to Washington unless it was one of the three way trades or something that we've seen, 
uh, this year. It's funny Him because or Halak should have gone for at least something because there's no way you're resigning both of them. Not not with the emergence of the two youngsters. And I'm sorry, I'm including Vladar. I know that everybody in Boston suddenly wants to anoint Jeremy Swayman. They've suddenly written him off for reasons that baffle. Suddenly they want to anoint Swayman. And you know what? I loved the the pick when they made it because Swayman just – we saw him at dev camp. And the first time I saw him at dev camp, he he looked really good in his fundamentals and everything. I love Swayman, but – what I've seen, the growth of Dan Vladar, and I'm sorry whether you consider AHL important or not, he was the best goaltender in the AHL two years ago with a 1.79 goals against and a 9.38 save percentage. I'm sorry. The kid's got chops. The kid's got the skills. And And he proved it when he came here. He proved it when he came up to the NHL. And the thing is, he came in and played well in games when the skaters in front of him <clears throat> did not look like a playoff team. <laughs> I heard the little throat clearing there. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, which is not as much they, the and, case and the, as Swayman. But then they hung him out to dry with that 8-1 debacle against Washington, and suddenly he's no good anymore. Uh, a, the team played like rubbish in front of him. They um, played like an ECHL team in front of him that night. Yeah. Did, were all the goal were all the goals not his fault? No, there were one or two that I'm sure he would love to have had back. But I would say there, there were two some, goals that were completely his fault. It was, and just the other fun. six, like everyone on the ice, should have been you know paddled for because you wouldn't. You wouldn't expect a high school team to be that far out of position. I mean, some of the and the backside guys being wide open and note Zaboro's standing there looking at TJ Oshi on the backside while he shoots the puck into an empty net. Uh, the Zaboro pairing was terrible. Here's a thought: get the puck away from Oshi. Oh no, wait, we can't do that. We or have- get between Oshi and the net. Oh. <laughs> Pick one, either one, don't care. But my favorite thing is on the Boston thing. You're saying that they missed an opportunity, but it says here missed opportunity, none. This was a really good deadline for the Bruins. GM Don no. Sweeney addressed his two biggest needs without having to give up a first round pick. I'm no. told surrendering a first round pick was pretty much a non-starter for Boston in talks with other teams. Which makes sense because they've done it in two of the past three years for Rick Nash and Andre Kasha. And, and done I, terribly with it. Right. The Bruins clearly feel okay about Tuka Rask's health and confident enough in their young goalies not to pick up reinforcements in net. You don't need help in net. That's the one position on the Bruins that's solid. <laughs> like, they should have moved on from one of these guys, from one of the goaltenders. And even with all of the health issues that they've had on the blue line using a Baker's dozen defensemen, they probably should have moved one or two guys. They could have picked up assets and come out ahead. The best grade I can give them is an incomplete. But that's what you're giving everybody. Uh, 
was is there were seventeen trades. Yes, I seventeen. Know. That's we've we we've seen that literally in some hours on trade deadline day. This is very true. So most te- okay, Clearly, I would give I, the, I would I legitimately mean, give the Bruins a C. Like an incomplete, a C, either one. I mean, clearly the health issues, the 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 pandemic issues uh, affected movements because you did not, you didn't have a lot of teams crisscrossing the northern parallel, uh, otherwise known as the Canadian border. Yes. And and making a whole lot of deals that way because you didn't want and even when the Bruins did acquire Riley from Ottawa he drove down so that he could avoid. Oh, absolutely. The, same the same thing with Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar. They both drove all the way from Buffalo already, to. Yeah, I was gonna say they're already in America though. Yes, coming but, from coming from Ottawa, Riley had to drive to avoid being um, quarantined. If he but flew, they still would have had to quarantine and test uh, if they had taken public transportation. Oh, okay. I thought because they're in America, they were okay anyway. But yeah. regardless, I mean, they drove to Boston. They all wanted to actually play in the very next game to begin with. I and mean, they partially did. because it was against Buffalo, I think. Was it against Buffalo? Yes. And they they did, and it looked good. And, oh, by the way, when I said that I thought Curtis Lazar was the uh, secret prize in all of this, yeah, Curtis Lazar looks really good on that fourth line. And he's the only one signed for next year. And he signed for $800,000. Which is perfect for a fourth line forward. Although I think in that first game, they played more than the third line did. Uh Uh-huh. Partly because it was against Buffalo and they were ahead for a good portion of the game, uh, but partially because they played really well. It, it uh, just, I mean, he's him and Corelli uh, and Wagner and, and spoiler, Wagner's going to be gone this offseason. You think Corelli's gone? No, I think Wagner's gone. Oh, OK. Because Corelli's a free agent. Yeah, but Wagner has taken some questionable penalties a couple of times in the past few weeks. Yes, Corelli has had a couple of off games, but I think if they need to move someone, um, no, I think Wag- Wagner is going to get Wagner's got term though. Wagner's yes, but that means you can get a return for him. I understand that. Yeah, might be a second. It's not going to be a second round pick, but you might get your third back. You might get the fourth back. Um, I think fourth is a little bit too little with two with two full seasons mm-hmm. on there, but um, that's a topic for another day. Um, okay. What other grades on here stuck out to you? Uh, the other, gra- I mean, the other grades that stuck out was looking at things like. Looking at things like giving the Calgary Flames an A when they didn't move any of their players that they didn't do anything. I mean, they moved David Riddick and Sam Bennett and they they brought in a second and a third and that gives you an A. You didn't move you didn't move Gaudreau. You you didn't shore up anything anywhere. I mean, Giordano is still 36 years old last time I checked. 
and the only player you brought in was Emil Heinemann, who's a forward. Um, who is the backup in Calgary, or is Markstrom just playing the string out? I I just I, can't I don't even remember think, at this point. I, I mean, you gave this guy, you gave this team an A, but an A for doing nothing. I mean, it, well, same thing as Minnesota's goal grade. They got a B plus for no key additions and no key subtractions. <laughs> and the missed opportunity listed here is trading away one of the defensemen that they might end up losing uh, to the Seattle Kraken and the expansion draft, such as Matt Dumba or Carson Soucy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a first. <laughs> How many times have the two of us said Carson Soucy's name ever? Um, I'll that, give would you a... requ- that would require that I know who Carson Soucy is. Just The answer is now three. three. <laughs> we have said his name three times. Six foot five, 210 pound. Uh, defenseman. He was drafted in 2013, fifth round by Minnesota. Um, uh, based on his, uh, he has one goal and 13 assists this season. Um, a career he has all of 28 points. I'm going to go way out on a limb here, way Um, out on a limb. Okay. You should probably write this prediction down because it's got my pencil ready. Boldest prediction I will ever make. I'm guessing Carson Susie will not be taken by the Seattle Kraken. I have written that down. Carson Soucy will not be drafted. By the um, way, how do you how do you bring in a third round pick in 2022, lose Good Branson, Coburn, and Riley, and yet get a B plus? Good Branson, Coburn, and Riley. Uh, You've lost three defensemen. Yep. The only thing, the only key addition is a 2022 third round pick, and you get a B plus. I mean, I love the Ottawa Senators. Don't get me wrong, but wow, that's really giving them some credit. <laughs> really I, 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 I can no longer take this article seriously. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, good effort, A for effort. Um, the grade for the actual article, uh, not disclosed. The grade We're going with is not, not disclosed. disclosed. You know what else isn't disclosed? Who actually wrote it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually, it does say on ESPN that it was written by, uh, Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski. Oh, it does. I'm I scrolling up and down the article. The pros in this article that Greg Wyshynski did very little bit. Oh, here it is. It's buried in the fourth paragraph. Emily Kaplan graded teams from the East and Central and Greg Wyshynski graded the West and North. Clubs are listed alphabetically at each grade with separate groups for teams with plus grades, regular grades, and minus grades within the overall letter. Well, thank you for explaining that. And and the thing is that Emily Kaplan, Greg Wyshynski, I generally don't take too much umbrance with either of their writing. No, and you know what? 
this was a hard draft to work with. There wasn't, uh, or not uh, a hard deadline to work with. There wasn't much. There really wasn't much. And you know what? I think that if we're going to be honest, I think that their grade for New Jersey is actually a little low. They picked up a first round pick, uh, two fourth rounds, a seventh. They got AJ Greer and Mason Jobst, um, and they got rid of guys who they weren't resigning and weren't going to be able to keep. Um, could they have gotten maybe an additional second instead of uh, what they landed? Maybe. Um, and yet there's still missed opportunities, according to this. Not trading defenseman Ryan Murray, though GM Tom Fitzgerald had some sound reasoning. I just didn't feel that the offers were something of value to us. And that's fine. You know, if, if you don't feel that the value is there, don't make the deal. I completely understand that. We still want to be competitive, he says. Ryan still helps us stay competitive. I just wasn't giving players away. End of story. I completely get that. So, um, And I think that's everything for this one. Yeah, I think we've pretty much beaten this. Like I said, it's an interesting read. It's a longer read. It's on ESPN+. Plus. Um, it, it's, it just don't take it as the be all debt, you know, be all end all, because I don't think that any of these deals really come to fruition until either until the cup is lifted or yeah. someone is, someone is extended for multiple years who didn't have term. Right. Um, and you had, uh, you had one more story, which I think is, possibly the best uh, hockey community story we've had this year. Um, it's unfortunate what caused it, but uh, I still really, really like it. Oh, okay. I was going to say, we. I was going to first say that we needed to clean up something because in our last show, we never got to mention congratulations to Milan Lucic on getting to 1,000 NHL games. Oh, right. And there was one other milestone um Hit last night, you mean? Uh, yes, you know, Marlou some... matching uh, Gordy Howe. Howe for most games played. Um, that's a huge accomplishment, especially to still be contributing. Um, because while well, Marlou is not any playing anywhere near his peak, um, he still looks like an NHL player. He doesn't look like a mascot. Um, No, he's not just out there. He didn't go out there for one shift just to get credit. He was out there, I don't know, probably a good 12. I mean, he played some minutes. Uh, I did like the way Milan celebrated his 1,000th game by, of course, beating the hell out of somebody. Yeah. And he did. I I don't remember who the opponent was. but I don't think his opponent remembers he was the opponent either. Yeah, that was that was a beating uh, from a Lucic of like eight years ago, <laughs> ten years ago. That was a beating. It was not pretty. Um, well, not pretty for the guy taking the beating. It was. I mean, Luch did get cut though. He was bleeding. And of course, Tuka Rask got his three hundredth win this week uh, in his return from the mysterious injury. Uh, so we got congrats milestones. But yeah, the last story, it's bittersweet. Uh, it relates to the Arizona Coyotes. And, and there are other teams that have 
that one person, that one child, that one adolescent that they sort of revolve around. The Bruins have the mighty Quinn who has more of a relationship with Charlie Coyle because, as we all know, Charlie Coyle is from East Weymouth and so is the mighty Quinn. Uh, but it, it, young cancer patient, in fact, he actually went through surgery the day after his fifth birthday on February 4th. I mean, and the teams rally around these people. Well, Arizona rallied around this young girl. Her name is Leighton Nicardo. And she unfortunately has pa- she unfortunately passed away last November 24th, nine years mm-hmm. old. Well. Last night before the game, the Arizona Coyotes honored her life and legacy by inducting her into their ring of honor. Nine years old, she they, her number 49 is now in the ring of honor with names such as Wayne Gretzky, Dale Howarchuk. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of other other greats in the Coyotes slash Winnipeg Jets. Um, sure. But we're talking about she's nine years old. Her number 49 is the number that she wears when, wore when she played youth hockey and when she played youth baseball. Uh, there are other names. Jeremy Roenick, Keith Kachuk. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, her name is actually right next to Jeremy Roenick's. Which is, uh, I mean... This is one of the things that you see hockey do that the other sports don't. And I firmly believe this is why the NHL and the sport have lifetime fans. And the other sports tend to have dynasty fans or fans of particular players or coaches or uh, who come in and out of contact with their team, um, but you don't you don't see this in baseball. You don't see it in basketball. Um, the direct and deep ties with the community that you see in the NHL. I mean, the young lady and I and apologize. I apologize for not remembering her name. The young lady in in St. Louis who actually. Uh, came to yes. Boston during the playoffs. And I, I, like I said, I apologize for not looking up her name before I started doing this, but it's that connection that the organization has with the youth in that area. And whether it's one in particular or whether it's a group of, I mean, you listen to, to quotes like, like Darcy Kemper. I was pretty emotional. I was fighting back tears. Obviously, Leighton inspired us in so many ways and continues to do so. It was so hard to watch the ceremony emotionally, but we were very, very happy just to have the chance to celebrate her life and be able to go play. She inspired us in so many ways. We didn't really have to talk about it pregame because everybody knew who we were playing for. And the thing is, after the first period, they talked to Oliver Ekman Larson. They were down 2 nothing. He's like... We're going to do this. We're going to play this way. we got to make these changes. And, you know, it's very, it's important because we want to get this win for Leighton tonight. And I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said. But he said mm-hmm. we want to get this win for her. And they did. They turned around in the second two periods. They scored three goals, ended up winning the game three to two. It, 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 overall, it was just a, 
a really heartfelt win and a really good night for the organization as a whole. And I think they need more of that. We need to, and the NHL needs to honor the fans. And I think they do a really good job of it as it is. But moments like this where you've got somebody who, in the ring of honor, I mean, her name is going to be up there next to Jeremy Roenick's for until they destroy the Gila Arena. Or until um, Arizona moves, and then they go to the ring. Then they usually take the Ring of Honor with them, and they put it up wherever they go. Absolutely. Her name is always going to be there. It's like it's like Vegas retiring the number fifty-eight after the shooting in Las Vegas during their inaugural season, right? And hanging a banner with all fifty-eight names on it up there to be remembered forever. It, those are the types of things, and unfortunately. It was in a bad situation, but to honor the people that the way that they do, that's the good about it. And we need to see more of that. Uh, we, uh, you can't be, as an organization, an organization that employs or leads to the employment of so many people in a community, you cannot be separate from it. The Boston Bruins can no more be separate from Boston um, than than uh, I don't know. It's you have all of the arena employees, some of whom live in Boston itself, and some of whom you know live a decent a decent distance away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get people up in Medford and uh, out in Woburn and Arlington and Lexington. Um, you've got uh, people who are even south of the city who work. Uh, in uh, in the arena, and you know you've got uh, Grizzlick's dad, who you know over in Charlestown, he probably could have walked to work most days if he wanted to. Um, you can't separate for you, you, I don't think it's good or sane to separate from the community uh, as an organization with that much influence, both. Uh, in terms of keeping people mentally healthy within your organization and in terms of keeping the fans on your side, like efforts like this moments, gestures, genuine gestures, you know, if you're trotting out the team's athletic trainer to show up for events or give away a gift card to something, just because just to get the team's name in the news, no one's going to believe that. But when you have the players, the coaches, the general managers, when you take a name of a super fan and put them in the arena where someone's going to see it forever, that's a big deal. And it helps bring fans and maintain connection through really bad times. Like the two of us believe that the Coyotes are one or two players away from being a playoff team. They're on the cusp now, yeah. Um, if they get in and have a good five, six-year run of playoff appearances or four years out of six years in the playoffs, win two playoff rounds, three playoff rounds in that time, and then retreat uh, in the standings, the memory 
of that connection as well as the potential for glory mean that I think the low threshold for fan attendance is higher than it would be without that fan connection. I absolutely agree. And yeah, and that, you, I heard you mention Layla Anderson. I mean, mm-hmm. they let her, she came onto the ice during the Stanley cup ceremony. Am I? Yes. I mean, hello. <laughs> that says it all right there. Team that wins the Stanley is, Cup, and they're letting her on the ice to celebrate with the team. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Uh, you know, that's that's a that's again a genuine gesture. Layla Anderson very clearly enjoyed and loved the St. Louis Blues. It wasn't like. As much as, as much as I want to say that I think that there may be genuine appreciation for military and first responders, uh, there's not the same connection. You can't have the same connection to uh, the hundreds of thousands of police officers, uh, EMTs, and military folks in any given state as you can to that sick little kid or uh, who's been in and out of your arena and your practice facility for the past two or three years and who you visited in the hospital an unfortunate number of times. It just, it just doesn't work. It's, it's good to see. I think it's again, necessary, useful and good, but it's not the same. And I and think Layla Anderson, no, Layla Anderson is still alive. She's 12 years old now going to school. She gets blood transfusion. She gets a blood transfusion once every three months. It says here. So, uh, yeah, I have to agree with everything you said. This is what's going to keep hockey in prevalent in the minds of people everywhere. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you. Uh, share the show with your friends. Uh, post it on your social networks. Um, if we have any fans who listen to Reddit, uh, I mean who use Reddit, uh, introduce us to your friends uh, in whichever forums or subs you use there. Um, I haven't set up a Reddit account yet. Uh, I don't believe Chris has. Uh, maybe we should set one up for the show and uh, visit every once in a while. Okay. Um, That can be done. Take care, and we'll be back uh, next week.